and to your point as well as like you, when you are signing these deals, if you can see my cheeky post on LinkedIn is no one wants to say I'm delighted to have signed X, you know, it's so bland that boring, you know, which is why we, uh, try to get a bit more provocative and have a bit of a laugh and don't take yourself too seriously. Hey, this is Jesse here with the milestone episode of all milestone episodes. That's right, we've officially hit triple digits, and to help mark the occasion, we welcome back our guest from episode one, which is none other than John Gordon from Incentive Games. In this one, John shares an update on the growth journey that Incentive Games has been on since that debut episode, which includes working with tier one operators like FanDuel and Bet365. We also talk about his work to mentor and advise other startup founders, the importance of not taking yourself too seriously, John even shares some of his thoughts on how I can improve the podcast for the next 100 episodes. I'm already looking forward to inviting John back for episode 200, but for now, I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. The Betting Startups podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, visit the Optimove stand and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card. All right, we're here with episode 100 of the Betting Startups podcast. This is a celebration episode. I honestly didn't think when I started this, I'd make it this far. So when I thought about uh, the fact that we actually were going to hit 100 episodes of this thing, I then thought about who would I have on for such a milestone episode? And it was never a question. There was never any doubt. Very happy to welcome back my good friend and first ever guest of the Betting Startups podcast, John Gordon. John, welcome back, mate. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Jesse. Thanks. It's an honor to be back you know, on the first and the hundredth pod with you. It's a pleasure, mate. Honestly, when I, I started this, I didn't, definitely didn't think there was a hundred startups to talk to. And I mean, I've had a couple of repeats. There's a couple of investors in there. They're not all, I guess, startups, but like most of them are, which I guess speaks to how many entrepreneurs are coming into the space now. Um, so really, uh, yeah, happy to have you back here. As I say, I'm not going to be at ICE in a couple of weeks. One of my favorite things about working in this space altogether is going to the events and seeing my uh, industry friends like you. And normally we'd have a pint there. Since I won't be there, we're having a pint here on the podcast. I actually sent you uh, a calendar invite for this, called it a, a podcast and a pint. So I know you've got your pint there for full disclosure, nine in the morning here where I am. And I don't normally advocate for having a pint at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday, uh, especially when working from home and your wife is 38 weeks pregnant. Yet here I am. I did make a special exception here for you, John. So cheers, my friend. We'll do this in lieu of uh, one in London in a couple of weeks. So cheers. Cheers, mate. So let's just chop it up here for a little bit. I don't have such a rigid set of questions like I normally do. Maybe just to start off, let's get a little update from what's going on inside Incentive Games Towers, just to put a, a bit of context out there for people listening that maybe didn't listen to episode one, which uh, if you didn't listen to it, what are you even doing? But at that time, like, I think it was almost unfair to consider Incentive Games a startup two and a bit years ago in that first episode. Already, you guys were well on your way to scaling, and, and I think we're a scale up at that time. And certainly now, two and a bit years later, uh, you're off to the races. So. Yeah, just give uh, people listening a little bit of an update on what's going on on your end and, and just kind of what life's like in Incentive Games. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. A lot has happened since then. I remember we were just about to announcing big deals at the time. I think those were FanDuel and Bet365 and some others. So we've since, you know, over the last couple of years, 
launched and flourished, delivering, I think, about 10 games for Bet365. And I think we helped Fangio increase their market share for online casino. I think it was from about 16% to, I think they're not up 26% today. So obviously not all down to instead of games, but we're certainly hard, you know, helping the, with their retention and market share. So it's been, it's been an incredible journey over the last few years and being able to work with such esteemed companies has been a real pleasure. So like score group Flutter and Bet365 to name a few. Honestly, it's a, it's a real testament, I think, to the good work you guys are doing. The fact that you are, you know, such an important partner now to all of these tier one operators in the biggest betting markets in the world. So, uh, I mean, kudos to, to you and the team there. I remember back on the episode one, like one thing I, re I really remember after we recorded my wife, she's like, Hey, it's so like, how was that? I mean, you've never recorded a podcast before. Like how, you know, tell me about it. So I was explaining, I'm like, Oh, I th you know, I think it was okay. You know, John's always a good guy to chat with, but he said a couple of things that were like, kind of left me scratching my head. And the one thing you said at the time is that you guys were almost intentionally like trying not to get new clients because you were so committed to focusing on success for the few, you know, tier one names that you've just mentioned here, which I thought was a very like counterintuitive position to take when obviously every company at the early stage is trying to just land as many customers as possible. I thought it was quite a contrarian statement to make. So still sort of like one of the, the thing that I remember the most from that initial discussion, but obviously that strategy has led you down a path to, to where you are now. And I mean, it's going from strength to strength. So can you just talk a little bit about, I guess, the journey like inside of the company over the last couple of years as well? You know, I, I have had the pleasure of getting to know a few of, of your teammates. And one thing that really strikes me is like the culture. I think you guys really, or at least you, I guess I'll say like, don't take yourself too seriously, right? Seriously enough that you, as you need to, as the CEO of a, a rapidly growing business, but you also create a lot of space for just having fun, having a laugh. And then like, you guys really don't take yourselves all that seriously. Just talk a bit about, I guess, just like the culture and the team and just kind of the inner workings of incentive games. Yeah, I suppose we found ourselves in a luxurious position where we were sort of the go-to de facto, if you could you know, work with incentive games. And we, we actually found before then we, we did actually have like 30, 40 clients and maybe, uh, tier twos and threes in different regions. And I just felt to do what we do properly, you know, instead of games couldn't sort of silver bullet. If you, you know, if you're number 17 in the market, instead of games won't help you get to number one, you know, if your overall product isn't good enough, no matter how good our free to play games are, how good our segmentation is and the user journey of our game, the upstream downstream user journey has to be there. And also for them to stick around long enough, your overall sports and casino product has to be best in class. And we, we noted, we found that out straight away early on-ish and we sort of pivoted to just focusing on the bigger clients. I've got a chemical engineer background, so everything we do has to be done based on science and we sort of continual improvement. So brick by brick, building it up. And we're now feeling that, you know, the flywheel of total, and as you know yourself, Jesse, total product focus. Like we believe in just product, product, product. And what we call the center games flywheel would be product people. So as you talk about the culture, so we do a four day week, we try to be fun. You know, at the end of the day, it's still work, but we try to make coming in our offices and our tone of voice and everything is a bit playful, as fun as possible. So the four day week is one part, but also full autonomy, you know, working remotely, all these things added up. Uh, we've been awarded the top 10, hundreds best companies to work for in the UK and things like that. But it also makes good business sense because no one's really left in the last few years. So we're keeping all that retention and of people and those great experience and that sort of compounds over the years. So we're able to output great 
amounts of work at a great standard in a short period of time. So we really doubled down on people and we're passionate about it. As you say, try and make it as fun as possible. But, you know, into your point as well as like you, when you are signing these deals, if you can see my cheeky post on LinkedIn is, so no one wants to say, I'm delighted to have signed X. You know, it's so bland and boring, you know, which is why we uh, try to get a bit more provocative and have a bit of a laugh and don't take ourselves too seriously. You've only got one shot at it. You know, if you have one, no one wants to hear any bland nonsense. Also, since you were on two and a bit years ago, you know, there's been more startups and entrants looking at the free to play space. Obviously, I think, you know, I think of incentive games when I think of the term gamification and you guys really index heavily for all that. But, you know, there's been some other sort of new entrants into this space. I guess I'm just curious to sort of get from you as the category leader. How are you sort of seeing the landscape right now? What do you make of the attempts by others to carve out a piece of it? Just what's your sort of overall lens on that? We've really got the free to play sports side. So it's like maybe low six sport caller. In the past, low six are a good, good group of guys. We do, we do see yourself as a bit different. They do like B2C, B2B to B2C. And so they do have their own like B2C apps and NFT route and ultimate teams and stuff. We're very much like really focused on retention, right? So we, we really hit heavily in data. So our data team really focusing on how many times can we get those players to log in. And we're getting like six, seven logins a week on average across hundreds and hundreds of thousands of users for one game, millions across the world, you know, so it's like ultimately making sure the user comes back every day to, to do a certain action on the sports side. Same in the casino side, so daily free casino games where, again, there's not too many competitors in, in either of those camps, but there's a lot of companies, they do their B2C, I feel B2C and then try to do B2B free to play, which is a, a tried and tested path, but it's not as easy as everyone thinks and kudos to anyone that's trying it. And, I'm always there to a welcome competition. And there's plenty to go. It's a huge market, but there just isn't much competitors out there. I think there's realistically, there's two main approaches I see. It's actually the operators trying to do it themselves. And even within Flutter, one of our clients, we do their casino, annual casino in America and Canada, but then they've got their own strategy for internal free-to-play sports, which is great. And then poker stars have got their own free to play philosophy, so the bet fair and so paddy power, sort of sky bet. And it's a case of each of them their own philosophy. Whereas I think bet three six five, for example, it's like it's centralized thought process and then we roll it out across hundred and thirty countries, you know, ten games and, and that, that seems to me much more scalable. And I think if you look at the likes of eighty eight, William Hill and other brands like that, I think we are now coming to a point where you need to sort of consolidate your thought process for a big company and roll it out across the world as opposed to, you know, a regional manager of Romania has an idea compared to the guys over in Italy and such. I think I sort of, in the future, we should, one working within a strategic position with these operators is just think about holistically what are we trying to achieve here and how can we consolidate all these different schools of thought. Nice one. And I guess also just like thinking back to episode one, and as you mentioned here at the start, like at that time you were, I think still, you were very guarded about your U.S. strategy. Of course, since then, as you say, you're working very closely with some of the tier ones there. What have you learned over the last couple of years as it relates to the American market and, you know, through your experience working with your partners there? Is it what you thought it would be? And sort of how does it compare to other markets you're more familiar with, such as the U.K.? It's so unique in terms of, I dare say, I don't think it's that competitive anymore, right? So we've got three mm -hmm. players really 
it's like nothing I've ever seen. You know, we in the UK we've got such a mature market, but obviously very lucrative and profitable. But you know, you, you could be one part of Schwatter, for example. You could spend a hundred million a month a year advertising to try and get single digit growth potentially. Whereas in in the US, we've got an opportunity. Not we, but my partners. You know, there's three competitors. States are opening all the time. Casinos still to really unfold across the US. It's so exciting. I mean, you compare that with Brazil, where there's 30, 40 operators, Canada, you know, 17, 20 operators. And I think they're still to do that consolidation. Whereas in America, it seems just, I'm sure the guys don't feel it themselves. I mean, I speak to them often, but it's like they're always high achievers. They're always trying to, you know, nothing's ever good enough, but it's like such an achievement what they've done. Obviously, Bet365 is still to really come into the market and obviously we'll be helping them there, but it's really exciting for our partners there. And I think acquisition has always been tough, but retention is such a key thing that over the years, I think it's what's happened is, is everyone just forgets, not forgets. Acquisition is so sexy because you can count it, right? So we mm-hmm. had 20,000 registers this month, 2000 deposits, but what are the value of those users? And what is the lifetime value? Is your lifetime value over stripping your CPA? What we specialize in is retention and the good partners are here for the long term invest in that as well. And it's just, it's more difficult to measure, but it, it actually breeds success in the long run. But I think it's a hugely exciting market still, lots of innovation. And if you look at the products themselves, I think, like you say, the front end of the FanDuel stuff is phenomenal. All the exclusives and the bespoke, that's where things stand out the most is everyone needs their opportunities because there are only three major, major operators there. They feel like they, everyone needs their own content, yeah, which is really cool as well. Unlike, you know, Africa or South America or the UK, where it's very, very similar products. One thing you and I have also spent a bit of time in the past couple of years connecting over is a few other startups in the space that are not necessarily doing what, what you and Incentive Games are doing, but they do have something where they've asked for your, you know, lens as either an advisor or an expert in the space. And on a couple of instances, you've, you've connected me with a couple of these teams and it's been a lot of fun to sort of jam with you on that over the last couple of years. But I guess just broadly speaking, like how do you characterize, I guess, the time you spend uh, working with other startups? Are you just sort of there as sort of a, a mentor type? Are you getting involved with any, like how, how are you sort of incorporating that into the, the official duties as CEO of Incentive Games? Yeah, I think I started my own consulting company, consulting Bonobo, just on the side, uh, just more, you know, I, I like to help some startups that I like, just like the founders and I sort of introduce them to you and we, we share we're going with them and then some of them eventually make it to IPO or different routes. And sometimes we, you know, I become a bit more serious with them, but it's more, more of a side project. You know, I'm, my, this is hundred percent incentive game, but I do enjoy it and do enjoy giving back a bit and helping these guys out. It's about, you can tell straight away if they're willing to listen and learn. Or then sometimes you try to talk to some founders and they just, they, they believe their own coolies too much. And, you know, I just, you try to help them and they're arrogant or about any of those traits. I just can't be bothered. Get back into the ecosystem or not, not get back, just, I enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a sort of as and when the right thing comes along and we, and you and I love that sort of stuff. I think your point you just made around, I guess, founders and, and entrepreneurs in general being coachable, I think is the word I keep coming back to, right? Are they willing to kind of leave their egos at the door and, and be willing to listen to perspectives 
that, you know, maybe counter to what they believe in and, and sort of how willing are they to listen to those other perspectives. And it's interesting. I use that as a bit of a heuristic as well. When I talk to founders that ask me to kind of take a look mm -hmm. at what they're up to. And one of the things I, I, I try and look for like right away is like that coachability aspect. And exactly yeah. as you rightly say, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, if I get any sniff of, of resistance to that, it's just not going to be a good fit. Right. And, and that's it. You know, it might be the best idea in the world and maybe they'll get to IPO, but you know, the, the journey there, you know, may well be a bumpy one. And, and I, I see that as a bit of a flag myself when I have mm -hmm. these conversations. What are some other things you look for, I guess, and some of these founders that call you up asking for your advice or your guidance? Like what are the other qualities, I guess, uh, that you sort of index highly on for these people? Yeah, I suppose being realistic, being a bit, you know, being Scottish and who I am, you know, it's the amount of times you hear the hockey stick and such, which is great, but you need to explain how you're going to get there. I mean, you know, I've seen, you've seen it a million times before, but for me, it's just about having a reasonable valuation, having your feet in the ground, trying to walk before you can run and making sure that you do things properly and a sensible approach. And that's really all I look for. And the, the product as well, like I'm a, I'm a bit of a product mm. guy. So like, are we doing something exciting, something new? And, and look, we'll pivot. Typically we'll tend to, you know, pivot, but are they, are they good guys to work with guys and girls and, you know, are they coaching? That's the main thing. What's coming up for incentive games? Like, like we talked about, I mean, you know, you're on this wonderful growth trajectory right now. Is it just sort of staying the course for now and continuing to grow and service those existing partners? Like what, what do the next two years look like? If I call you up for episode 200, uh, what are we going to be talking about between now and then? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I think we still stick to a true, like loyal to our handful clients or so, and then we will consider a few, a few more, but we actually over the last few months have come up with a new product line a pay to play product mm -hmm. line, which is really exciting. I think looking to double or treble my revenue in the next 12 months, six to 12 months, we could see phenomenal growth on top of where we are at the moment. I pitched it to about 10 companies already and every one of them's taken the order. So it's quite exciting. I've never seen products fly off so far. So we're just building them at a, at a high priority at the moment. And for those that don't know or aren't aware, we, although we're the leader in the free to play space, we do take like a million bits a day in certain parts of the world on our virtual games and other pieces of pay-to-play products. And we've we stepped back into that space and we will much, much, much bigger in the next few months because I think we've got a perfect product market fit with sort of combination of our free-to-play games and then a pay-to-play game at the end, which I think I'm going to blow the doors off. So. And I guess it's another teaser you're leaving with us here. Uh... We'll leave the incentive game discussion there, John, but we got a few more minutes. And again, like I said, because I'm not going to see you at ice normally, you and I would probably find a bar stool somewhere and have a pint or two and just sort of talk shit for a little while. So we're going to do that for a few minutes here before we wrap today. Um, I got a few things to put out here that I want to workshop with you. If you could sort of help me out, that'd be yeah. huge. So first of all, as it relates to, to the podcast here, I think I've played it pretty safe so far in the sense that it's a friendly format. I like to call it right. I don't really like challenge my guests with my own opinions about what they're up to. And I've had a little bit of feedback come my way lately from listeners saying, Hey, like, you know, we respect what you're doing. You know, it's great that you're giving these founders a platform, but Jesus, like, do you really believe what they said? And I'm like, well, no, not really in some instances. And like, well, why don't you push back? Why don't you express your own opinion? And I've always been a bit reluctant to do that for a couple of reasons. One, I think just like, it's a bit inherent in me being Canadian. I just, you know, I want everybody to get along, which is a little bit cliche, but I think more importantly, I was always a bit unwilling to do that for fear that 
if I was challenging people, then other potential guests wouldn't want to come on. And that would basically, you know, I, I wouldn't have any guests and, and thus wouldn't have a podcast. I've kept it pretty friendly. That's been the playbook through the first hundred episodes. I'm thinking about changing some things up with the format for the next hundred. What would your thoughts be for me to consider, I guess, as I sort of like look through that lens and try and figure out how to strike that balance between supporting entrepreneurs and giving them this platform versus also injecting a little bit of my own opinion in there, even if it does uh, upset them or, or, you know, create some uncomfortable discourse in the, in the discussions. Yeah, no, I think that if, if I'm honest, you know, you know, like the guy and that's who you are and you go on and I suppose in reality, you and I will listen to a pitch will be belated and then you and I will talk straight away after and determine if it's a good or a bad one. And we always come to the same consensus. I think it's difficult giving feedback to someone when it's someone else's baby, right? So I would say, say who, but even operators, massive operators, you know, they come up with me, come to me with an idea just as a paid consultant or just, they just run something past me. And it's difficult trying to say why it wouldn't work. And you, a lot of time I've got data or a good reason why it wouldn't. So it's always a delicate subject, but what I have found is, is over the years, I, I do deliver it as nice a way as possible. And I probably gain a bit of credit over the years for doing so. But what I would say though, well, is this the right place to be? doing it you know because you know do we have enough data at hand and we might be right we might be wrong and it's their future and i think the key thing to do is let people have their own judgment on the podcast maybe prodded it a little bit but you know is the next daily fantasy sports company that comes on going to be the world leader who knows but probably not and we don't know anything else you know or some failed b2c company now going into free to play b2b good luck it's tough and again i think you I think asking pertinent questions as opposed to criticizing and then maybe offline saying, look, this is a bit, have you considered this is a lot tougher than you think? That reconciles with how I think about it. I guess the people that are asking me are coming at it from the perspective of like, hey, I'm listening to this. I want to hear a little bit more like controversy or drama or hot takes. I'm like, well, I just don't know if this is, if this is the podcast for that. There's a lot of podcasts with very opinionated guests and hosts. I just don't know if this is one of them. I, I, I really want this to be about the guests, not about me and what I think of what they're up to. So anyway, I just wanted your views on that. The other thing I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on, if you have one, is I always ask my guests uh, a question at the end. It's the same question I ask all of them. I actually don't remember if I asked you in episode one, so maybe I'll ask you at the end of this one. But I'm going to retire this question after this episode as a standard closing one, but I need to replace it with a new standard closing question. So I always ask people, like, if they weren't doing their current project or working within this industry, like, what would they be doing in a parallel universe or in a different lifetime? Some interesting answers to that question, some predictable like vanilla answers and everything in between. But I need to switch it up to something else for the next hundred episodes, John. So what do you think are some good candidates for a new standard clothing question? What do you think is like an intriguing thing to ask somebody to wrap up a conversation like this? It's really something like, what is something you believe which is unpopular, but you think is true? And that, what I mean by that is uh, maybe not worded correctly, I can get you the right phrasing for it. I heard it the other day and I thought it was really interesting. It's like, there's a lot of this, especially in this industry, there's a lot sort of, we're conforming, we, we just hear say we're going along with certain trends, but no one's actually digging into the data. I will often, I would say the companies, but we see a game on one of the competitors and they'll assume it's a success and they'll, everyone's trying to copy it, but they don't do the research to find is, is it a success or not. So it's like, there's a lot of just following certain trends without validating the data. And uh, maybe it's not worded correctly, but it's almost like, how can we, especially in this line of what you're doing is like, I think that's what startups should be trying to find is like, 
dig deeper than what you see the, the circus treads are and look it into the data and see if you can validate where everyone's looking over here and it's the wrong direction and try and look at somewhere that that's actually growing, you know, over the years, and I'm sorry for going on about this, but like esports betting, right? And I, I want anyone that's in the space, good for yourselves and that's great. But we've heard it for years. It's like, there's more people viewing esports than the NFL. But have you done the research to find out, do these people want to bet? And I'm sure there is one or two sites in the world, but I, I went to a meetup. We signed eBay a few years ago to do free to play games though. And what I did is I went to Brooklyn and, and I went to eSports meetup events and I asked every single person there if they bet and no one bet. No one knew about which site to go on. Mm. All over 18, like hundreds of people, not one single person was betting on eSports. And they were, but they all enthusiasts. And for me, it's like, yeah, there's viewership. And yes, there's obviously some people that do bet on it, but look beneath the trends that you see on LinkedIn or a graph that you see and try and understand, don't just go, oh, esports is sexy, so let's do that, or the metaverse, or whatever, like, dig a bit deeper, do your own research, because there's a lot of traps out there, and yeah, you can get some bruises, but there's also data or research that you can do to find it before, often, you could lose a tenth of the money as opposed to all of that. Final topic, and then I'll let you go here. I know your pint's getting low, as is mine. I got to go have another coffee after this. But um, on a very more personal note here, I'm expecting baby Learmonth to arrive in the next couple of weeks. And I know, I think you have two kids, right, John? Yes. And one thing, like, I, I've been sort of trying to, like, wrap my head around with all of the changes that are about to happen is, as an entrepreneur, I've, I've, I've had the, I guess, latitude to spend as much of my discretionary time as I want on my different projects. And obviously now, the arrival of baby Learmonth, my time is going to be a lot harder to come by. And for somebody that's sort of years ahead of me in the journey, I'd love to kind of get your perspective on how one can balance the demands of parenthood while also still pursuing their entrepreneurial ambition. Like, how do you, I guess, find time and space for both? Like, any tips, I guess, you can leave me with to keep in mind as I go forward here? So I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and I'm very fortunate that they're, they're a good, good age now my and my wife does a lot of good parenting when I'm away. But, and I'm also very fortunate the last year or so that we've been able to do a four day week. My day off is actually working from home. I do try to do stuff with the kids that day, but I think it is important if you listen to 10 times is better than two times, it talks about the economy of work, right? And not burning out. And it's like, you know, everybody's trying to do percent, 15% year on year growth. Our company personal has done two, 300% year-on-year year growth for the last three, four years. And now I'm actually thinking, how do we get to 10 times? And I'm very fortunate to be profitable and such, but that when you're in that mindset of 10 times over two times or whatever the scale may be, it does talk a lot about how you need to, you know, prepare and then you execute and then you need to rest, but you do need that downtime. Like for instance, my downtime over Christmas, and I came up with this new game concept that we're rolling it out and a few weeks later. My point there is it's easy to burn yourself out, whether it's yourself or founders, certainly startups, when you don't have that luxury to take any time off. But I think my point is, is they don't think it, it's possible because you're always thinking, I need to, you know, get that deal. I need to speak to that investor. I need to whatever, because if I don't, then I can't get the money, then we can't pay the wages and so on. But often that's not the case. I mean, you do need that downtime. You do need that family time. You do need that balance. And you find that when you do get that break, and if it's like, say so you prepare, execute, and then rest, recovery, 
that recovery time is just as important as any. And often if you schedule it in and do it properly, real t- I mean, she's it for me, she have a workaholic. So actually I struggle as well, but, um, it's good to try to as best you can. hundred percent. Well, I'll have to pick my shots a little bit more carefully now, perhaps. Um, where are we going to see each other next on the conference circuit this year? Where, I guess, where are your travels taking you this year beyond ice? What's on the calendar? So I was just looking at there. I can't make the Canadian gaming summit because I'm going to see Scotland win the Euros, obviously, in Germany. <laughs> so I think I'll be going to the New Jersey SBC. I'll be speaking at that and Barcelona SBC and G2E. I think SBC will be in uh, Lisbon this year, I think, September. So it's not in New Jersey, no? Well, no, that, so the SBC America's in New Jersey in uh, May. And then I think their other one in, in the European side in September has moved from Barcelona, Barcelona to Lisbon uh, okay. this year. So, okay. Yeah. I'll be there. Are you going? Are you going in New Jersey? Yeah. So I'll be in New Jersey. I'll probably see you there next. And then I'll also be over for SBC in, in Lisbon in September. Uh, we're actually talking right now, uh, about, uh, possibly going to spend a month over in Portugal in September with the baby who will be like six months old by then. We'll see how that goes. It might be just a, a fantasy right now. It might not nice. be realistic, but, uh, we'll do our best, but yeah, I'll see you, uh, see you in a couple spots this year. And then yeah, G2E later this year. So be lots of time for us to huddle up on the bar stool. Sorry, I'll miss you at ice, but this has been fun, John really, uh, appreciate the catch up here and then all the the friendship and support and everything uh, you've given me over the years, man. Really appreciate it. And thanks for uh, celebrating this milestone with me today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's a pleasure on the first and hundredth episode and good friend and amazing podcaster and amazing product person in the industry. So it's a pleasure. All right, my friend. We'll be well and uh, we'll talk to you soon enough. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, Visit the Optimove stand and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card.